You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. And Brian has spoken into the life of this church now. I think this is his 16th year running. And so he's seen snapshots uh, over the years from when we were started out with a handful of uh, 25 of sort of replanting uh, this church and seeing God do amazing things here. And so we are privileged to have him. He has a, a unique ability to see things that we don't see and to declare the works of the Lord uh, in, a, in a great way. So I want you to open your hearts and, uh, and receive Brian. Come on up, buddy. And uh, as he ministers the word to us, you're going to have to tell them what you did whatever you're going to preach. Just let them know. I have no idea what you're doing. So, um, you guys know I'm all systematic and everything, and I preach the same thing all three times. He may or may not do that. I don't know. So, just hold on to your seats. It's going to be good. Father, thank you for this man of God. I pray that you'd bless him. pray that you'd even, even still right now, your spirit would come upon him uh, as he speaks your word to us. I pray that we'd receive it, that you'd open the ears of our hearts that we would receive from you this morning, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's good to see you guys. So many uh, familiar faces and uh, new faces. It's, absolute, it's an absolute privilege to be here. I uh, just want to honor my parents. I have the best parents in the world. And uh, so much so that when we go on vacation, we go to my parents' house. And so... Um, when I'm done preaching this afternoon, vacation starts for me, and we'll be here for the next week and a half, and uh, really just looking forward to having some downtime and uh, getting some good friendship time with my parents. Uh, but it is an absolute privilege to be with you guys this morning, to worship with you. The presence of God was here, super encouraging. Uh, your guys' heart for the Lord is incredibly encouraging. So if you would, open up your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, in our church uh, in Houston, One Life Church, we've been going through Nehemiah, so I'm just uh, been mulling over uh, Nehemiah and what happened and transpired in this phenomenal account uh, of Nehemiah and God's people uh, being faithful to the call that God had, had given them. And so uh, this morning, I want to talk about the start of something great. Uh, the start of something great. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this, The word of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, now it happened in the month of Chislev. Now, uh, isn't that profound? It says, now it happened. Now it happened. You don't say now it happened unless they're going to tell us or unless you're going to tell us something great. In the book of Nehemiah is the start of something great. When you say, and now it happened in 1999, May 1st, I married the most beautiful woman in the world and she has had the happiest experience of her life. Right? <laughs> and now it happened. And now it happened on March 23rd, 2008. And now it happened that One Life Church was started with just a handful of people who believed God to reach a community that they've never been to and never known. That's our story. 
We have seen the phenomenal things that God has done amongst us. And you guys are part of a story where it begins with, and now it happened. See, as Christians, we are called to something great. We are called as Christians to participate in what God is on about, what God is doing in the world. We get this incredible privilege to participate in it. We're not, uh, we're not pew sitters. We're, we're not sitting in the stands watching the game happen. No, we're part of the game. We're invited to participate. We're invited to participate in something great. Our life has meaning and significance because God has rescued us as Christians, saved us, set our feet on the ground, and has set our course and direction, and that is to participate with Him in something that matters. Now, greatness isn't defined by what you decide is great. Hey, you know, I have what greats for me is lazy boy and buffalo wings. Greatness. That's, we don't get to define what greatness is. Greatness is defined by Him. When, when we submit ourselves to His definition of what greatness is, we live lives that really matter. And that's what this story of Nehemiah is about, is living lives that really matter. And for Westside Church, you guys here, whether you're new, whether you're old, or you've been here for a long time... <laughs> God is inviting you to participate in something great, something great. So this book of Nehemiah is about the rebuilding of the Jerusalem walls. Um, the nation at this time has, had been, has been decimated. They've been all sent into exile. They're slaves serving another kingdom. And uh, this story is about Jerusalem rebuilding its walls in order that the people of God, the Israelites, can be renewed and the restoration of the people of God uh, to their God. It's, it's a story of restoration. And so I want to look at this with the lenses of what it looks like to participate with God in His invitation to work with Him in His restoration Project. So, uh, continuing on, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Uh, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, um, this is Nehemiah talking, first-hand account, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant that is the province who has survived in exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. This isn't a good thing. This is a bad thing. Verse 4 says this, And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. See, if we want to participate in something great, it has to start out like this. It has to start out with a recognition that there's a problem. See, Nehemiah hears that there is a problem, and there's a great problem. The walls are broken down. And it brings great shame on God's people, who are meant to be a light into the nations. This is great shame upon the people of God. Nehemiah sees the problem, but Nehemiah doesn't, doesn't see the problem. Nehemiah saw the problem and was moved to compassion. He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. 
See, Nehemiah saw the problem around him. He, he saw the broken walls, and he was moved to compassion. He was brokenhearted about what was wrong. There was a problem, and um, Nehemiah recognized that this was not just his problem. This was a God problem. And he was moved with the same heart that God had, a heart of compassion, his heart reflected the very heart of God because he saw the problem and he was moved to compassion. See, there's problems all around us. There's, we're surrounded by problems. If you, you look at just the people that surround us, if you just look at the, the, the divorce rate in our nation, that, that people have experienced the, the brutality of going through a divorce. It, it's not an easy thing. I haven't experienced it, but I know those who have experienced would none of them would say, hey, it was pleasant, it was easy. No, it was brutal. And what the incredible thing is that God is always restoring people's lives and those who have put their trust in Jesus and have turned to Jesus, God has restored them in incredible ways. But there's a lot of people that have been brutalized by divorce and are still walking as broken walls, as broken lives. See, if we look around us, we could, we could see the, um, the, the rate of, of kids that have been abandoned by their fathers. We could, we could look at the abuse rate, sexual abuse. One of every three to one of every five girls have been sexually abused. One of every five boys have been sexually abused. I mean, we could go down the list of the brutality and brokenness of people's lives. We're surrounded by brokenness. People that are addicted to alcohol, people that are addicted to drugs, people that are just overcome by worry and fear and anxiety. We are surrounded by brokenness all around us. Not to consider, um, not to even mention the, the most severe brokenness. The most severe brokenness is people who are in a broken relationship between them and God. Because that brokenness is eternal separation from God. See, if we're going to start and participate with God in doing something great, it has to start with us recognizing the problem, seeing the problem for what it is, but also being moved to compassion, being moved to compassion. Are you, are you moved to compassion? Surrounded by the people your neighbors that drive you crazy, your, your co-workers, your family members that you just cannot stand. Are you more irritated by them or, are you, or do you see the problem and move to compassion? It's like, hey, I, you irritate the heck out of me, but I'm not going to be offended by you because I recognize that you're acting out of your brokenness. See, the most compassionate person was Jesus. Jesus wasn't the guy that was the diagnosis and just, you know, great at diagnosing the problem. Hey, you got yourself in this mess. See, if you would have made better life choices, you know, your, your, your life could be better. This is your fault. You're suffering the consequences of your actions. We see Jesus, who is our model, over and over again move yeah. to compassion Throughout the Gospels, it says he was moved to compassion. There's a story in Luke chapter 18, verse 35. 
And it says that it was talking about Jesus as he drew near to Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuking him, telling him to be silent. But he cried all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. See, this can be a picture of church people that are busy doing God's work, wanting to follow Jesus, but everybody who's crying out for help, everybody who's in a broken state, crying out for Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on me. And the church saying, shut up. Keep quiet. You're distracting us. Jesus is walking. Can't you see that? Let him keep on walking. How dare you distract and disturb Jesus? We're doing something. Jesus, have mercy on me. Shut up. Jesus always acted with compassion. If we're going to participate in something great, there has to be something that, that resonates with what God has broken about in our own heart. He is moved to compassion. We should be moved to compassion. The problems that are surrounding you, not just the people in your life, but the brokenness in the city, Is it lost on you or are you moved to compassion that this is not right and this must be made right? So that's what Nehemiah did. It's like, this is is not right. And God uses Nehemiah and the people of God to bring an amazing restoration to the people of God. And God wants to use us to be restorative in people's lives, restorative in this city, restorative in our neighborhoods. He wants to use us. God wants to bring restoration. And what he wants to do is use us, use us to bring that restoration. So think about it. Where's the brokenness around you? When's the last time you were moved and brokenhearted about the brokenness that surrounds you? Do, you? do you see that brokenness as God sees it? This is not right, and this needs to be restored. Because if we can't see it, if we, if we can't see the problem, if we're not moved to compassion, we will never be used by God to be agents of restoration. It's not wrong to be brokenhearted. You know what is wrong? It's to be calloused. To see problems around you, see brokenness in people's lives, and to just keep on going on with your life. To be calloused, that is unhealthy. To be brokenhearted about things that are wrong, that should be right, is healthy. 
Jesus demonstrates this. The second thing that we see Nehemiah do is Nehemiah knew to continually turn to God in prayer. And throughout this book in Nehemiah, we see there's, there's these great prayers. Nine times where it's recorded in the book of Nehemiah, of Nehemiah going before God and praying. And I mean, just eloquent prayers, prayers that, 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 that are theologically just weighty in crying out in dependence upon God. And, and we see exemplified in verse 4, when he saw the problem, when he was moved to compassion, he, in verse 4, he continued fasting and praying before God in heaven. See, Nehemiah knew that the first thing, the only thing, the continual thing, the constant thing, is to constantly turn to God in prayer. Constantly turn to God. See, as Christians, if we're going to be successful being faithful to the call that he's given each one of us. It has to be. It has to be us constantly turning our attention towards him because we need help, because we can't do it on our own. The the primary occupation of Christians has to be prayer, should be prayer. And what we see is phenomenal in this story is is the story unfolds from chapter 1 to chapter 2 is that Nehemiah prays for four straight months. He continues to pray for four straight months, having seasons of fasting, continual prayer before him. Now, if four months is 120 days, four months is 120 days, here's what's remarkable. It takes them only 52 days to build the wall. 52 days to work, 120 days of prayer. Do do you see the ratio? Do do you see where Nehemiah's priority of prayer came came to bear in his life? That he he saw the work that was before him. The work only took 52 days, but he decided to pray for 120 days. Oftentimes, uh, we, we don't work in that ratio. We say, okay, God, bless me as I continue to work for you. We pray for a couple minutes, and then we go on on our day, on with our week. And Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He, he knew the importance and, and priority of prayer. He knew that in prayer, his confidence in God comes. He knew in prayer, his, his attitudes and motives were being adjusted and his heart was being conformed to the heart of God. He, he knew in prayer that, that, that he would love others, that love would grow in his heart for others the more he spent time in God's presence. Man, I see problems around me, but they're so irritating. It's so hard for me to love people. Do you go to God in prayer? Because in the prayer room is where God will do business in your heart. And you'll find that in his presence, your, your, your love for others will begin to grow. In prayer, we, we are strengthened. In prayer, we are strengthened to persevere. In prayer, our faith grows. And in prayer, our courage grows. And we see this process in in Nehemiah's life. Because he prayed, because he prayed, he he was willing to be used by God. 
See, we often have these high, high moments. You call them, we call them camp experiences. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you, you go to camp and you have this camp high. It's like, oh man, man, God is amazing. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to surrender my life for him all the days of my life. And then a week goes by and a couple weeks go by and we get caught up with the busyness of life, just the situations of life, just the rhythms, the, the, the hard reality of the daily grind of life. And we take all those things that God has put in our lives, those, those desires. God, you called me to greatness. God, you called me to participate in what you're doing. Oh man, I want to give my life to it. We, we, over time, we begin to take those dreams and we kind of put them on the shelf. They go, man, I'll, I'll get to that maybe next week, maybe a couple months from now. Right now, I've got to really focus on this. i really got to do this other thing because it's just, it's just taking all my time and energy. And the whole time, this dream, this invitation that God has given us, we put on the shelf and it collects dust and it collects cobwebs. It's a sad, sad story because here's what I know. I know that every single believer has this invitation. Invitation to participate with God and what he's doing about and what he's doing is amazing. I mean, what he's doing really matters. People take that invitation and they put it on the shelf and they say, I'll get to that later. I, I got life to do. And that wasn't what Nehemiah did. See, Nehemiah prayed he didn't he didn't just have a camp high experience now he prayed and he continued to pray and his prayer grew stronger and his compassion and brokenness about the situation became stronger and in that process he wasn't just asking god do something about this god you do something about this but in this process of 4 months of prayer god began to lay on nehemiah's heart you're the man yeah this situation needs to be restored and i'm going to use you to restore it we see that exemplified in his prayer in verse 11 of chapter 1 nehemiah is praying and he says oh lord let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And listen what Nehemiah asks. He says, And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. This man was the king. The king Artaxerxes who Nehemiah serves. He's the cupbearer. And his prayer is, God, I know that you're calling me to lead the people of God, to rebuild the walls. And I know that I'm to do it. And would you give me favor in the sight of King Artaxerxes? Because if he doesn't give me favor, I won't be able to do what you put on my heart to do. See, Nehemiah is, is willing, is willing to be the guy that God uses to bring restoration. See, we could be broken heart about it. We could be compassionate about it. We could keep on praying prayers. Hey, God, do something. God, do something. God, do something. But if we keep on praying and we keep on going before God, we'll find that we start to change. We'll find that God wants to use us. God wants to use us to bring about the change. He wants to bring, uh, use us to bring about restoration. 
and the brokenness that is around us. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah, he prayed, and now it's four months, and we get to chapter two. If you're following along, looking at scripture, we see that Nehemiah acted because he knew that the Lord was with him. Nehemiah acted because he knew that the Lord was with him. He, he saw the problem. He, he was moved to compassion. He turned to God in prayer and dependence, and, and God did some deep work in his life. And then Nehemiah was willing to act. He was willing to act. Oftentimes, we, we have this emotional experience where we're all excited about what God wants to do, but we're reluctant to act. We, we don't act. See, in this room are a bunch of great intentions. All over the world is filled with great intentions. Everybody has great intentions. Everybody has desires to do stuff. But if we're going to participate in what God's called us to do, we need to act. We need to actually take a step and move and act in obedience to what God has put in our heart. And Nehemiah serves for us an incredible example. He moved. He wasn't just moved in his heart. No, he moved to action. And we we see that transpire. Uh, Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In the month of Nisan, that's not the car company, Nisan, 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 uh, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been very sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face so sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid. You see, Nehemiah was a cupbearer, and uh, he was to serve the king. Now, in the king's presence, you're not supposed to, to burden the king with your problems. He's the king. You're supposed to serve him, not just serve him physically, but you're supposed to serve him emotionally. He's supposed to feel amazing because you're making him feel amazing. It's like going to a restaurant and being served. You want your, serve, uh, your waiter to bring you the food, but also do it with a good attitude. You don't want your, your, your waiter coming and bringing food and then you know, lingering around the table and look all sad and, oh man, my problems. Let me tell you about my problems. And you're like, you're waiting to eat. And you're like, come on. This, I'm paying for service right now. Now that's not the Christian attitude. If we see problems, right? <laughs> so King Artix, uh, so Nehemiah, in the presence of King Artaxerxes, is so moved with compassion. It's been four months now. And it's now to the point where he no longer can contain his brokenness that it's reflected in his demeanor and posture, and the king notices it. <clears throat> I don't think I've ever been brokenhearted about anything for four months. I think I've seen problems around me. I've seen the brokenness of my neighbors. You know, I've thought about it for a couple minutes, and, you know, brokenhearted about it for, you know, at least you know, a few minutes. 
But Nehemiah is so in tune with the compassion of God that after four months, he no longer can contain himself. And it's just, he's overcome by the brokenness that he faces. So the king recognizes it. The king asks about it. And it says that Nehemiah was very much afraid. Should he be afraid? Absolutely. He is, te- he is assigned to do a job, and he's to do it right. If, if King Artaxerxes doesn't like Nehemiah, is offended by Nehemiah, he could say, off with it, your head, and his head would be off. He should be very much afraid. But we, we see Nehemiah acting. He, he, he acted courageously in the midst of a scary situation. He, he moved forward. And he says why he was sad. See, Nehemiah could have easily said, Hey, oh my gosh, king, I'm so sorry. Uh, it's a misunderstanding. I'm actually really happy. <laughs> I'm not really sad. Uh, just forget about it. I, I beg your forgiveness, O oh king, O oh incredible one. Let me tell you a joke. He, he, he could have tried to get out of the situation. But he didn't. He was very much afraid and he leaned in to what God was calling him to do. And he actually tells the king why he's afraid. He says, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when my city, when the city, the place of my father's grave lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? He leans into the situation. There's this moment when Nehemiah is, is praying, God, would you, would you provide an opportunity? Would you provide an opportunity? Make it clear to me when you are providing an opportunity. And in this moment is the opportunity that God provides. And Nehemiah could have kicked out of the situation. He doesn't. He, he leans into the situation. There's, there's times in our lives that we're faced that. We, we know what God wants us to do and we're given an opportunity. And the things that prohibit us from like stepping into the moment is fear. It's like, you know, it's so easy to talk to your neighbors about, you know, the weather, about like watering your yard. Easy conversations. But taking that step when someone communicates or you recognize that that someone's down and maybe your neighbor's down and, and you know that what God is prompting in your spirit is to cross that bridge and say, hey, you know what? I've noticed that you've been down lately. And I want you to know I've been praying for you. And I want you to know that I, I, I love Jesus and I found hope in Jesus. And you can find hope in Jesus too. I mean, that, that could be incredibly scary. It could be incredibly scary, but... In those moments when God provides an opportunity, are you going to act out courageously? You say, oh man, God help me. I'm scared to death, but I'm going to lean into this moment that you have created. Nehemiah was willing to act courageously. Um, we know that the quote, courage is not the absence of fear, but moving forward in, in spite of the fear. I like how uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt says it. He says, courage isn't the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than the fear. And that's what drove Nehemiah. 
He said, you know what? I could lose my life right now, but that doesn't matter. What's more important is God's people being restored. He saw something more valuable. See, we can say, man, I can, I can lose, I can lose uh, my reputation right now by stepping out. But you know what? That person's life is more important than my reputation. So we see Nehemiah. He's not just courageous, but he has this bold plan. So the king could have said, hey, off with your head. How dare you talk to me and share your problems with me? The king actually has favor on him. In verse 4, he says, the king said to me, what are you requesting? What are you requesting? Oh my gosh, he gets an opportunity. What are you requesting? It's like, oh man, um, what do I ask? I, I don't know what to ask. I haven't thought about it yet. That, no, Nehemiah was prepared. He already knew the heart of God. He already knew what God had planned. He already was in alignment with it. And when the king asked, he knew how to respond. And his plan wasn't humble. His plan was bold. It, it was an incredibly bold plan. Uh, Nehemiah, verse 5, says, Send me to Judah, and I will rebuild it. Now, that doesn't sound like that bold of a plan. It's like, okay, you know, that make, that's reasonable. But here's the backstory behind it. It was King Artaxerxes that made a decree that the, the building of the wall was to be halted and never rebuilt again because people reported to King Artaxerxes that if the wall was going to be rebuilt, then the nation would become strong and then they would stop paying taxes to King Artaxerxes and they would start rebelling against King Artaxerxes and they would be their own nation. So King Artaxerxes wasn't going to have anything to do with that. And he's like, no, I want my taxes. So he said, he put a decree 10 plus years earlier, the wall will never be rebuilt. So the bold plan that God put in Nehemiah's heart was to say, King, may you reign forever, but you're wrong. You made a wrong call. And I'm asking you to reverse your call. I mean, that could have been seen as, you know, defiance. He could have said, off with your head. You're not obeying my laws. I, my laws are perfect. I'm the king. You're distracting me. Did, did you get it all out? <laughs> so the bold plan doesn't... This is my wife. This is lover. This is our love language right now. <laughs> so the bold plan of the Nehemiah doesn't just stop with, hey, reverse your decision. Let me go rebuild. He actually says, and the... Here's what I want. I want you to send me letters that give me authority to rebuild the walls. So if anybody questions me, I would have your name as my authority. The king says, okay. But it doesn't stop there. Nehemiah asks again. He said, wait, wait, wait. I also want letters. I want letters to have access to your forest. I want all the wood that we need to rebuild the walls. At your expense. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. That's not it. Here's what I want. I also want wood to build my own house. The king said, okay. He actually sends Nehemiah with a whole entourage. He has favor amongst the king. He, he had a bold plan, 
And he was willing to ask. He was willing to ask. And he was granted favor. See, there's incredible people in this room. Look around. You guys are awesome. You guys are competent. You guys could probably come up with a cool plan. You guys could probably like work together and accomplish something pretty cool, pretty, pretty awesome. But when we have a bold plan that's like bold upon bold, and people just think, that's arrogance. That's not bold, that's arrogance. When we have bold plans, it, does, it no longer points to us. It points to our God. See, when we, when we walk into the bold plans that God has us to do, that there's no way we can accomplish it on our own. There's no way that we can be given favor like that on our own. There's no, there's no way this can happen in our, by ourselves. It, when it, it's bold, audaciously bold, it points to God. See, what God has for Westside Church is, is a bold plan. We could look in the natural and we could try to come up with a framework and an idea of what, of what Westside could accomplish in the, this area. And if you accomplish it, people say, wow, you know, Westside's those good, are great people. But if it's a bold plan, a plan that is aligned with God's heart, and you are faithful and courageous and willing to act, God comes through, and the whole city, the whole region is going to say, wow, look at their God. Look at the reality of God. Nehemiah was willing to act because he knew that God was with him. And this is his testimony in verse 8. Nehemiah said, the good hand of the Lord is upon me. The good hand of the Lord is upon me. See, he was, he was in moments where he was in fear. He was in moments where he could have kicked out of the situation, but, but he leaned into him. He acted because he knew that God was with him. He was confident God's with him. That only happens when we are in prayer, continually with God. And his confidence wasn't in himself. His confidence was in his God. There's things I know. If you're a believer here this morning, I know God's put dreams in your heart. I know that the spirit inside of you has prompted you to do things. And I want to encourage you to run to God and ask him to strengthen your resolve to act. Strengthen your resolve to step out in the midst of being afraid, step out in boldness, step out in courage, knowing, confident that God is with you. If God calls us to something, he's not going to leave us on our own. Nehemiah knew this. Nehemiah knew that God had appointed him for this time. And he knew God wasn't going to leave him on his own. The invitation for all of us is to participate in what God's doing here on Project Earth. Just a few questions that I'd like to ask. What, what are you living for? What are you living for? Is, is the script of your life, the, the times that you get to get isolated from all distractions, your phone's away, 
kids are sleeping. It's just quiet. I love those moments. But in those quiet moments, undistracted, our minds will often drift towards things. And is your mind, does your mind drift towards personal comfort, selfish agendas, things that are going to improve the well-being of your own life? Or are they moved like Nehemiah was moved for the compassion, brokenness around him and moved to compassion? What are you living for? See, Jesus never instructed us to care for, to worry about our own lives. He didn't. He, he constantly tells us to not worry. To not worry, to not be concerned. Do you not know that the birds are taken care of? Will I not take care of you? I know the, the number of hairs on your head. I will take care of you. You don't have to be concerned about yourself. You don't have to make a way or a plan for yourself because I'm your provision. I'm going to take care of you. What I'm asking you to do is to serve for the benefit of other people. See, we could trust God to take care of us if we are leaning in and living our lives to take care of other people. Do you see the problems around you? Do you care? Are you willing to be used by Him? Are you acting on the things that God has put in your heart? Let's pray. God, we we thank you. We thank you that even now in this room, Lord, so many of our lives bears witness to the fact that you're in the restoration business. God, we were broken walls. We were broken in our own funk, in our own sin, and you rebuilt us. God, you restored us. God, we are so thankful for what you do in our lives and what you have done in our lives. And God, we want to participate in what you've called us to do. We want to take those dreams that have been on the shelf that are full of cobwebs and all dusty, and we want to dust them off, and, and we want to be faithful to what you've called us to do. We want to participate in what it moves you, what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name.